Yo, what up? This is one of podcast, your boy Dane. What's up, y'all? It's your boy Haywood. We are back for episode 54. Shout out to my boy Jeremy. Man, he uh dog got a little sick, so he has to take care of that. <laughs> Shitting everywhere. Shit blowing up all over the place. Well, I ain't got no dog. And then Chad, I think Chad gonna jump in here a little bit, get started. But we got some special guests hey. joining us today. We got my A Dean. Big brother Chris Prater on the line. Give us uh, a little what's bit up, about fellas? you, man. Tell the, tell the uh, people about you, man. All right. Well, my name is uh, Christian Prater. I'm from Dallas, Texas. I, I met these fellas back at back in college at Texas State University, uh, San Marvelous, Texas, aka San Marcus, Texas. But um, I, you know, me and my family live here in Dallas, and just you know, happy to be on the show. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. <laughs> Then I got my other brother came in, helped bring him into the bond. My bro Greg Sharp, LB Chris Haywood. What's up, bro? What's up, baby? Uh Greg Sharp. Uh live in the Houston area now. I'm an educator. Uh went to Texas State with all these gentlemen right here. Uh learn how to be a man with all these gentlemen right here. So uh, you know, happy to be on. We got a good episode today, y'all. Good episode. Yeah, this is gonna be it's gonna be a fire one, man. We got I know these gentlemen definitely got some opinions. We talk about it all the time on our text thread, so it's gonna be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Without further ado, though, I'm gonna kick it off the hay with our tip of the week, man. You got it, bro. All right, y'all. So um I just wanna uh I want to bring in like um just my my, my favorite little parable uh in the Bible. Um, the parable uh, of, of talents and it's just I just want to speak on that because I feel like um, you know in life uh, that compound interest is really like the, the, the something that can really make or break and really can take your t- take your life to a whole new level and so um, paraphrasing but in the, in the Bible it says those who those who have will have more and those who who have not will have everything taken away and um, and it goes with the story of uh, you know um, uh, say a man leaving talents or, or money to people and the people who who increased or, or doubled you know what I'm saying that talent you know what I'm saying were able to get more increase and those who just took their talent or their money or whatever you want to say and buried it under in the ground uh, had that taken away and so I take this story kind of to mean. <clears throat> Everybody may have, you know, buried skill, talent, uh, treasure within them. But um, if you don't bring those to the surface and increase with them, then you will lose that. And it's really um, a, a, a growth or death type cycle. There's really no in between. And so use your please use your talents uh, however you can for the betterment of your people or for your your your, your last name people, uh, because if you don't do that, Eventually, you're going to lose that. Eventually, you're going to lose the, the ability to draw. Or you're going to lose the ability to, you know what I'm saying, do whatever. So hone that thing and bring it to the surface. Um, I did a video, y'all, like eight months ago. And for I didn't I didn't share it because I was insecure about like some of the edits. Like, I just didn't like it, right? And I shared it with this uh, this young lady who wanted, it was a, us, uh, it was a homeless, um, it was a program that, gave food to the homeless. That's what they did. They went around, served homeless people. And I never shared this video, y'all. And then 
I shared this video to one person and she was like, man, I've been wanting to do this forever. Thank you for, for sharing this to me. Y'all had this video locked up in my hard drive for like, like I said, eight months and it ain't been doing no good. I shared it to her and she's like, I want to go volunteer. And so that's just an example of some good that happened. And I wasn't bringing it to life because of my ego, because it was some things about the video that I didn't really, really like. So whatever, you know, do some soul searching yourself. Everybody got a little something to bring to the table. Uh, but understand if you don't bring that to the table, you're going to lose it. And it's not just going to be you that's going to be losing. It's going to be us, community at large. We need everybody to be at their best, you know what I'm saying, for the, for the in order to fight these things we about to talk about later on in the show. Definitely, man. No, it's definitely a dope message. And I think even with that parable, if I remember correctly, like I think there was another person that actually tried and, and <clears throat> failed. And God saw favor in that person more than the person that just buried their money and yes. brought back the same amount. <clears throat> Let me say, I found it's 20, Matthew 25, <clears throat> Verse uh, fourteen through thirty, and my favorite part of the Bible, like that's that's that in Proverbs. Y'all know we fuck with them Proverbs, but yeah, them the one I'm rocking with. It's crazy, okay. and when you were just saying that, it, it kind of made me think about like you hear people say that uh, the graveyard is one of the richest places in the world because that's where a lot of the buried talents and you know ideas kind of go to die and maybe those people never pass down that wisdom maybe they never pass down that talent maybe they never really cultivated or developed that talent and you know maybe we would have a cure for cancer or maybe yeah. the world's greatest singer or whatever the case may be and I, I've heard that that right. graveyards are one of the richest places in the world yeah, man. yeah you're right I, I, you know I coach track I tell my kids all the time the fastest dude in the school ain't out here the fastest man in the world ain't in the Olympics. They somewhere else because they didn't take a chance or, you know, you know, weren't willing to, you know, grind it out, trying to be a pro, you know, felt like they had to work when they were in high school, couldn't join a track program or something like that. I tell them all the time, the people who are the best at pretty much whatever field are probably not doing it. Like, <laughs> there's somebody out there smarter and with a better business mind than Jeff Bezos probably they just didn't have a mom who could loan them the money to start Amazon. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Same thing. There, there's, there's an Elon Musk out there, but, you know, his parents weren't college professors and, like, pushed him in the right direction uh, going forward. And it's hard to do that internally, especially when you're young. So, um, yeah, that's that's spot on, dog. And y'all boys dropping gems. Like, y'all been doing this for a minute. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what, I, I came to Texas State and I got involved immediately. Um, but one of the things that I hated about my high school career, I switched high schools midway and I didn't do anything. I never, I hated that my yearbook didn't have anything under my name. Like I didn't play. Mm. All I did was went to work and that just, that bothered me so much. Like that I just, my, but my experience in high school was a reflection of what I put into it. So I didn't have a good second two years of my high school. Yeah. That's because I wasn't at the games. I wasn't at the homecomings. I wasn't making the school better by bringing anything to it. So it's no wonder that I had that distasteful experience the last two years of my high school. So it's about what you put into it. You know what I'm saying? You can get some of that. So that's the Bro, we, we, we talk all the time about how we got a late start on who we were supposed mm-hmm. to be. We talk about it all the time. Like, <laughs> we, we, we'll have a conversation in the middle of the day about that thing. Like, man, you remember when we was in school, bro? Like, imagine had Chris started taking pictures and stuff like that in high school. Imagine if you was in the photography or journalism in high school, bro, you got them. But like, we missed out on the head start and it was right there for us to, to take. We just missed it. Yeah. So, yeah. 
So, so, man, we can jump into that all day. I'm going to have to bring y'all back for another conversation. <laughs> we got another topic we can get into. Yeah, that's man, definitely a good one. That's definitely <laughs> a good one. Exactly, exactly. Let's get into these trending topics, man. We got a lot of stuff to hash out real quick, man. So, man, how y'all feel about uh, buying a Birkin bag for your woman, man? Y'all got that? Y'all got the uh, bread to get that Birkin bag? Or y'all how, much Birkin, bro? How, how much they call? I don't even know. Minimum. It's like 50 bands, bro. 10. Minimum. Shut up. Minimum sales? 10 minimum. Minimum is the 10. 10 bands <sighs> for a bag? How about 10 bands? Like, Birkin bag. You can't just go buy it. You got to have a membership to the store so they know you're coming back to get some more. Oh, okay. I'm in the streets, personally. Whoa. Look, I got a, I got a plug in China, dog. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and my girl get that Wookiee. That Wookiee. <laughs> okay. Hey, hey. Get that Wookiee and be happy, bro. You know what? I, I ain't buying no Wookie, but at the same time, if she not around nobody who has a real Birkin, they don't know Wookie if they saw one. Yeah. The fake that's coming these days are amazing. And like, I'm into leather craft, right? So like, I actually got okay. leather right here because I like make wallets and stuff like that with it. So no cap, I'm into this stuff. I go to the leather store all the time. I know what leather costs, bro. There ain't a fucking, I mean, excuse me, there ain't a cow out there that's worth 10 grand, dog. You cuss, you good. It's just not, bro. So, like, I know what it costs, and I'm just like, these fools getting filthy rich off of one bag. Like, nah, dog, I can't do it. I can't do it. Who said this, Dave? Sweetie, Quavo's Quavo's girlfriend. See, and this is what bothered me. So, you know, I'm on Instagram and stuff like that, but if I, if I feel like it's stupid, I feel like it's foolish, I won't even entertain it. So I had to ask my wife. I was like, hey, babe, what's up with this, with Sweetie and this Quavo situation? So she gave me, like, her take, and then I watched the quote, and I was like, this is not what she's saying. Because <laughs> what, <laughs> what my wife was saying was more diplomatic. Well, she was taken out of context. I was like, nah. nah. Hold quote, on, what was the quote? I missed it. What was, the, what was the, quote? The, the quote was like, she, the quote was, if your man is not buying you uh, a Birkin bag and he not paying your your bills. Throw his Stop ass right there. I don't need back to the street. street. We just we just talked. She we said throw his ass. She said throw his ass back to the street. And then she flipped her red uh, lace front and walked off. I was like, nah, <laughs> baby. Like I was. I said personally, personally. Like I'm not spending thirty k on a bag. Maybe even if I had it, I I probably wouldn't spend thirty. I would rather buy you a, a, a multi-purpose property. You know what I'm saying? I'd rather get you a storefront. If you were a nurse or if you were a teacher or if you were somebody where you had, you know, student loan debt. Oh, that's I, a college degree. I, I, I dropped 30 bands on your loan, loan debt and get you out of that situation. So you... Hey, he froze. He froze up. He's got to drop some knowledge, too. I know he's going to get it, too, man. Do y'all know, like, Saweetie background and stuff like that? Nah, she from the street. I think she was like a cheerleader or something at USC or something like that. So I think she probably from LA. Like, she is. you know, she done, yeah, she done hustled her way. I mean, I don't know none of her music or nothing like that. So I don't know how hot she is or whatever, but you know, that's an image she's trying to portray, though. So, like, so I would she, like remake, to think, she remakes songs. She's like, I mean, her big, the, the, I guess the clout of her name is being around Quavo. Yeah, know. I mean, basically, I didn't know who she was because she started dating him, bro. So, so, like, uh, this is kind of like a thing. I feel like she's trying to reach and be something. Like, I'll put it this way. Quavo got to buy them bags because I don't know if she got it like that to go bomb herself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that, it's just, it, it seems like she she pressing a little bit, but, you know. My girl, that, my girl walking around with a Birkin. 
my girl walking around with a burke and I'll be scared about the people around us. I'm thinking she's gonna get hit across the head. Yeah, I'm thinking she's gonna get robbed. Yeah. It's savage season. The people ain't yes. getting they, we ain't getting no stimulus check or two. Oh yeah, no, you ain't lying, bro. <laughs> and, That's crazy people, though. People people gotta know when to y'all like this is this is their life, not our life. Okay. So we have to understand who she's Yeah, their life's to, different than ours. Yeah. Like that's not for the normal person. But at the you same remember when time, Offset Offset bought his daughter culture of Berkey for her birthday? I think she I like three. That. Yeah, I remember. You that. know what I'm saying? Like that's how they live. Like and people who let's say might not make as much money as us. Like I know y'all know somebody who has looked at you and be like, "Man, you got money." And you be like, bro, this is like I'm living check to check, just like y'all, fam. My check might be a little bigger. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, so yeah, it's levels, man. We just don't understand. Like, I never understand that. I never have enough. Well, money. I got out of that rut, but I ain't gonna be buying <laughs> yeah, no motherfucker. I'm a Louis Vuitton type of guy. Okay. <laughs> See, uh, so you, so you willing to spend about five bands? Fuck yeah, man. I mean, if you know, I mean, uh, well, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know that's that, that two, that two five, you know, for I've, I've gotten one of those before, you know, but the Birkin, yeah, I act my way, act my way, yeah. <laughs> but I, the, and you know, like with the Birkin, with as much as they cost, even if you got one, the likelihood you could resell it and make your money back, like finding somebody who could buy that from you, if they could buy it for what you sell it for, they just go get a new one, like a Louis. The resale on that stuff is really good. So you might not be able to sell it if you bought it for five. You might not be able to sell it for four. But I mean, three if you in a pinch, you get it on uh, whatever. Like, stock whatever, X. like the, yeah, with StockX <laughs> or the Bill Mills, you, know, you might be able to get three off of them. But see, I think the part that bothered me the most about that quote is when she was like, "If he not doing, if he not paying your bills, and he not buying you Birkin bags, and throw them out to the street." Yeah, because yeah. Gonna leave that, dog. because mentally, I'm going to. So, like, what's the flip version of that look like? What does that look like for a man to a woman? Like, what does a woman not do or yeah, not buy? You ain't clean it. So when we I throw her ass to this. the street. We just talked about this last week. You see what I'm saying? And I think I, I think if that question, I think if that question was asked, a lot of times women might get a little uncomfortable. They might, you know, they might get a little upset, honestly. You know, like, so what are you gonna do to deserve this burkin? To even to even get considered for the burkin. You know what I'm saying? I'd even buy the motherfucker. Just get considered for it. Yeah, I mean that's that's fair. I can love you and not drop 10K on you, dog. Like straight up. Do you want the opposite of that? You know, and so this is the new game, y'all. Like, I understand men rap about trapping, selling dope, you know what I'm saying, uh, pimping, whatever. Women, they do the same thing, but their game is different. They talk about breaking a trick. They talk about stripping. They talk about getting a simp to buy them a Birkin. Like, that's... Mm. I had to realize it's the same thing. It's just different strategies. It's just a hustle. So once, once yeah. I did, yeah, hustles. So I, once I understood that, I was like, oh, a woman in that lifestyle is trying to come up on a simp just like a dude Correct. trying to come up on a simp. So yeah. in that regards, but I understand that. If you live in that life and you're stripping and you're trying to get you hustle, like Cardi, I understand that. But again, this is not the normal person. We're talking no, about later. So don't think this all of this applies to you. That's all yeah, I think yeah. I think it's an image thing, dog. Like it's just an image, uh, like an image that she's trying to sell. Because at the end of the day, she's trying to sell herself. Like I would like to think this, and this might sound crazy to me. I'd like to think that if Quavo lost it all, she would still love him. Right? Hell no. And, and, but but what I'm saying is, <laughs> I'd like to think that, and I'm sure Quavo would like to think that. 
He probably would. And he must. That was like, he must if he's still with her. You know what I'm saying? Like, he must think that's our game if he's still with her. Because you can't... Quavo can go have almost anybody he want. You know what I'm saying? So, if that's what his chick thinking him, then, you know, I'd like to think he don't believe that. And if he don't believe it, then, you know... I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it to <laughs> leave it to the game. Charge it to the game. Yeah, let's charge it to the game, man. Well, let's uh let's keep it moving, man. How y'all feel about Cam Newton and the way he dressed, man, before he get out and uh start throwing that rock, that pill. Did somebody say or oh, somebody said something, huh? Jeff, yeah, uh, yeah. Jeff Garcia. Jeff Garcia was killing him. Yeah. And he he really ain't taking it serious when he come in and dress like that before he uh take the field. Bro, I think bro. I think I don't think Cam Newton dresses very well, but I also don't agree with Jeff <laughs> Garcia. <laughs> to right. say that to say that because my man might put on a pink suit that he's not serious about his job. Like those those can those are mutually exclusive. Like I can dress well and pre- and perform poorly. That's just like saying if I wear a tailored suit, then I'm fit to come out here and throw five touchdowns and no picks. Nope, that's that's not true. That's not facts. Because yeah. yeah. Lamar Jackson wears a big chain every weekend with you know with a t-shirt and some jeans, like, you know, like he's just around the way chilling. He going out there and he breaking boys every single week. So I don't think the way you dress like has anything to do or a, a direct effect on how you perform on a football field. If you, didn't say, shit, if you didn't say shit to me when I dressed dress like that and I threw five touchdowns and don't say shit to me when I dressed like that and I drew through that bad, had that bad game that I just had. You know I agree. Yeah. You know? I agree. Like Jeff Garcia, number one, like there's so many dudes like, they walk, walk into the locker room every day in like jeans and pants and a t-shirt and a cap and they might play terrible. Nobody cares, right? With Cam, this is who Cam is. He's not, like, first of all, that's what he wore to the stadium, fam. Like, <laughs> he ain't got a, a pregame suit and a postgame suit. That's what he wore to the stadium, Damn. right? So, <laughs> I, like, why is this an issue, number one? Number two, I feel like this whole statement that he making because I hear it a lot, it's kind of like an underlying shot at Cam's like masculinity. Mm. Because of how he dresses, bro. Like, people have a serious issue with how Cam Newton dresses. And, like, as a dude who, I'm not afraid to wear nothing. I'm not afraid to wear pink. I'm not afraid to wear leopard print. I'm not afraid to wear nothing. And I live in a very conservative area, in the Houston area. And I live in an area that's very old school. So there are some things that I may wear to work, like tailored pants, like pants that actually fit. And people would look at me crazy. Or like pants where like my ankle, the ball of my ankle will show. Loafers with no socks, stuff like that. And people would look at me crazy. So obviously I'm not out there dressing like Cam Newton. I don't have the cash to be that flamboyant with it. But I feel like there's this issue with people that aren't black definitely going at how black men dress. From time to time. And I think that's the underlying thing about all this. Because like you said, if he'd have thrown, Cam was MVP. Did anybody say he wasn't taking it serious then? No. No. Like, why don't we blame Bill Belichick? Tom Brady's playing well. It wasn't Bill Belichick, obviously, that had Tom Brady playing well. It was Tom Brady. But nobody's pointing the finger at Bill right now that Cam's struggling. What's a coach's job? To do what his player, to find out what his players do well and help them do it on the field. So it, it's not like Cam's preparation is off. He's at practice every day. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not disrespecting the game. You throw a, let me throw don't a like how he dresses. Let me throw <laughs> yeah, a curveball like, at you, though. Let me throw a curveball at you. Cam said he was right. He was right about what? 
He was right about his comments about how he was dressed. Look, I think Cam is Cam Newton where... said that Jeff Garcia was right. He said he was right. He didn't even have a rebuttal. I thought he was going, you know, I thought it was tongue and cheek okay. at first. Right, well, good. see, that's what I said. I think Cam has addressed this before. What? Like, now it's to the point where he's like, he's right, Let, move on, next question. And, and, and yeah, go ahead. But, but to that also, I mean, you got to look at the New England Patriots and them performing poorly and look at everything that they've kind of had to like battle through this yeah. year. They've got yeah. nine of their top defenders who are opted out because of COVID. <laughs> They haven't really been able to practice in the last two weeks because of COVID. Their facility facility has been shut down. You got a brand new quarterback running a brand new system. Not to mention the man himself has COVID. And and the reason that Tom Brady left New England was because they didn't put weapons around him. Exactly. So So Tom Brady got him either. So his Cam doesn't have the weapons. He's getting over COVID and they can't practice. Like, I don't really know what the expectation is realistically. Because if you gave Cam Newton an AB coming off the street who's been training with pros, you give him a Mike Evans, you give him a Chris Godwin, you give him a uh, the the leading rush as a guy, I'm not Ronald Jones, you give him a Fournette. Gronk. Yeah. Um, yeah. OJ Howard. I mean, he, yeah. I mean, he's gonna be nice too. You know what like I'm saying? Like one so, year, Cam, when Cam had his best weapons, it was his best year. They made it to the Super Bowl. So right. And he was the oh, MVP yeah. that year. I found it. I agree with what y'all saying. Totally. I found the full quote. Uh well, first, everything y'all say is correct. Like, first of all, it's like five Patriots who was on COVID. Good, good dudes who and the, the same sorry team that was with there with. Tom Brady is also the same sorry team with, with Cam Newton. But mm-hmm. uh, he said, I don't know Jeff, but I would say this. I do certain things because of the culture I'm from. And where I'm from, I don't know where Jeff is from. I don't want to harp on it too long, but let's just say he's right. So I can already tell, he was like, you know what? I ain't going to argue with you like you said. And where he's from, you know what I'm saying? I love seeing a strong black man Sharp. I love seeing it, right? But what you and we about to talk about this. What you what, what Jeff Garcia is really saying is what these kids go through when a white person see a black kid in the classroom. It's the same motherfucking shit. Just because you don't understand, you don't understand that drip. That shit don't scare me. Do it scare y'all? Nope. It's not for you to understand, Jeff Garcia. But your ignorance is 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 glaring right now, and it's making. It's making you look bad, but y'all, but we demonize us because that same confidence that Cam has to dress like that is what makes him who he is his yeah. whole life. He's been dressing like that the whole fucking time. And, That's and why he's number one pick in the league. That's why that he kinda, like, that kind yeah. of confidence take those risks. Yes, clothing wise, yeah. is it's almost like an insecurity of Jeff Garcia's and probably a lot of people. Who are not from cultures like where we are or from what Cam is. You know Why what I'm saying? Able they don't do understand that? it because they'd be yes. scared to do it themselves. They don't have the stones to walk out like that in front of people with confidence. They're yes. worried about how they look. Cam thinks, look, I was an MVP. I'm 6'5, 250 straight muscle. I got a million dollar smile. What I wear is what's cool. And he's right. <laughs> to an extent, he is right. So, you know, I don't think Cam should be taking any pointers on how to dress when he go to work. Um, from somebody who was never an MVP, somebody who never played in the Super Bowl, from somebody who was, you know, basically cast out of the league, from somebody who was never as good as Cam. Like, like Cam's <laughs> yeah. preparation been what it's been his whole career, man. If anybody here is probably having a problem 
is probably Belichick figuring out how to win games without Tom Brady because he, he can never win them without him. Cam won games with every coach he ever played for. Huh? You know, so I, I, I would say, to, you know, I'm seeing Tom Brady do well. I'm seeing Cam struggle. You know, it might be a little bit of Cam. He's not what he used to be, but you can't blame all that two and four on him. I think they're giving Belichick a pass, and I think we all know why. Oh, yeah. and, I, and also, too, I think that, you know, whenever you see a quarterback step in front of media and kind of just fall on the sword like that, that's quarterback talk, too. Yes, like, I mean, yes, that's kind of yes. what you do as the quarterback of a football team or the CEO of an organization. You take the high road. Yep. You, don't, you don't get into a, a back-and-forth media dispute with somebody who – their opinion really doesn't matter. What Jeff Garcia says or thinks has no influence on any of those 53 men on that roster. It's not going to make them or break them. And Jeff, that's what Jeff Garcia gets paid to do is give his opinion, however valid yep. or invalid. Like, that's just his job. So I got to respect you for just doing your job. But like you said, Greg, like, Jeff Garcia, yeah. he was he had a he had a nice little run while he while he was in the league, but he wasn't he was never an upper echelon yeah. quarterback. What, what did they do when they took T.O. away from Jeff Garcia? He didn't do anything after that. Like that is it's unfortunate, and we know this. We all know this at work. You're a black man. You always got to take the high road. Oh, you yeah. do because if if you check Cold somebody sweet. when they talk to you crazy, yeah. you mean you scared them. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? And so we have to be delicate even when we're in a situation where, you know, otherwise if we weren't at work or we weren't in front of a camera or we weren't whatever, like that same way Cam is from an area where that thing is cool, Cam is also from an area where he don't let nobody talk to him crazy. And it, I think it took a lot uh, for him to do that, but I'm glad he did because I can only imagine how they would vilify him had he responded the way we all kind of like wish he would have to Jeff Garcia. But I don't but I don't want to like just paint the picture like this is just a Cam Newton thing. If you really look not, yeah. at, at all like <clears throat> alpha males or really uh eccentric pro pro athletes like this is common. You see it with Dwayne Wade. You yeah. see it with LeBron James. At the time when Michael Jordan was releasing his shoes and wearing them big ass suits that we all laugh at now, like that was cutting edge. Like that was yeah. That was trending. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at Chad Ochocinco, a lot of the boxers and stuff, they have these really big personalities because, like you said earlier, Chris, in order to, to be successful at that high of a level and that competitive of a field as a young man, because, you know, believe it, sports is a young man game. You 22 to maybe 30. If, you in, if you're, you know, in professional sports after 30, you're considered old. You know what I mean? So you have to have a certain level of swagger. You have to have a certain level of confidence. And a lot of times that will show itself in the way you dress. That might show itself in piercings or tattoos or or hair. And you see that across all walks, you know, whether whether that's a white person, a black person, Hispanic person. You look at the you look at the overseas soccer players. They all got tattoos and weird haircuts Mm. because. That's just kind of the makeup of guys at that age with that level of talent in yep. really competitive fields. Yep. Let's keep it moving, fellas. I love it. Love the commentary, man. So um, I don't know if you guys heard about Jared Kushner's uh, recent comments. Um, to read them out for everybody. He said, uh, one thing we've seen a lot in the Black community, which is mostly Democrat, is that President Trump's policies are the policies that can help people break out of the problems that they're complaining about. Um, but he can't want them to be successful more than they want to be successful for themselves. 
So what do y'all think about that, man? <laughs> <laughs> think about old Jared Kushner. Who going first? Who, who, <laughs> who, who going first? I'll tackle it. I'll, I'll tackle it first. Uh, yeah, you go CP. <laughs> you go CP. The first thing I want to say is that 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 sounds really strange coming from a man who inherited his wealth, who is also who's actually a person uh, who's supporting somebody in Donald Trump who also inherited their wealth. Like it's really uh, it's, it's ironic that you know somebody who who didn't have to pull themselves up by their bootstraps <laughs> or, or didn't have to work and grind to get in a position they're in to sit back and tell a group of people who built the country that we're all you know that that we're all living in right now and sit up and tell them, hey, you can't we can't want you to be more successful than you want to be successful. First of all, black people are successful. You know, and we've been successful. And you can look throughout history of the country or the world and see the, and see the success. But right now, what we're pushing for in the country is not to be successful. We're pushing, you know, we're pushing, you know, toward a place where, where this comment is not valid or this comment wouldn't even be said because you're going to look at me as an equal. Not that right. I'm trying to push to be equal. I'm pushed to be successful. Now I've already achieved that. We've already done that. I just need you to see it through your eyes that I am an equal. And then give me, you know, not more of an opportunity, but an equal opportunity. Exactly. 100, 100. I don't even need them to acknowledge me. I just need me to give me my, get out of my way. Then leave me alone. Yeah. I, don't need, I, don't need, I don't need your acknowledgement at all. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, and I don't think nobody asking for no handouts. You know what I mean? And and this is what bothers me when me and Greg was talking about this. Like they, y'all really think, y'all really believe in this like a, this meritocracy meritocracy bullshit. Y'all really think that y'all got to y'all position by merit. And when by, you start with an M, every, come on, bro. Come on, <laughs> I come from I come from spam sandwiches. You know what I'm saying? And and Tostitos pizzas and Nighthawks. Mm, Night, Nighthawk, Nighthawk, Nighthawk. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like. What do you, you don't know what the projects look like? Come on, dog. You don't know. You don't know what you're talking about. So, at the same time, I don't even want to give them too much energy because, like, but the only thing that frustrates me, Dame, is just like this is a belief that yeah. guides nationwide that if if black people just pull themselves up by their bootstraps, meanwhile, we were cut. We were cut out the GI Bill. We were cut out FHA housing. We were cut out. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, fucking. The Freedmen's Bureau taking our money out the fucking bank. We've red been redlined. Red Come on, dog. Like, just get out of our way, bro. We would do it ourselves, man. Black Panther, Black Panther Party was infiltrated. Come on, man. Like, Cointel Pro. Tulsa, Oklahoma was bombed. Come on, man. We we'll be here all day. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, I know they obviously don't know this, but it's frustrating that 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 that's how people think about us. That we lazy and we the most fucking hardworking people. And my brown people as well, you know. Yeah, I just take I take the same approach like CP man. I think it's very audacious to jump out when you've been a have all your life. You don't know what a have not is, you know. And it's it's funny because he really believes that they think yeah. that we are just lazy. We don't want to do anything, <laughs> and don't understand that <laughs> the reason why crime is an issue. The reason why. Uh, these things happen is because of poverty. There's a direct correlation. When somebody's back's against the wall and they have to fight or flight, they're gonna fight because that's all. That's the only option that they have. It's either you know fight your way out of their situation or death. 
at the end of the day. And people are not, they, I mean, we're all self-preservationists. We're not going to die. We're going to get out here and try to get it the best way we can. The problem is we spend so much time trying to get ourselves up to that level that we don't have, like what Greg had mentioned before, we don't have the time to think about the creative juices flowing and getting out there and being that innovator or being that person that uh, started a, a, a Amazon or started a Tesla because we're we're always trying to fight our way out of a, a bad system. And so once they figure out it's a, a systemic thing, then we can, you know what I'm saying, we can elevate yeah. ourselves as a people, man. Uh, it, it, it's one thing I've learned over the last few years. Um, and, it, and the main thing, and this is it's not a black issue or white issue, it's kind of like a human issue. Um, number one, people who have something, they really, really, really cannot stand for you to say that they may have it because of an advantage they had instead of their work ethic. That, that's the first thing. They can't stand it. And that's like a human issue. That's not black, white, or whatever, right? But I'm going to quote Claude Anderson. Claude Anderson said, some groups like to tell themselves that they got something by a Protestant ethic. And that's not how they got it. They got it from stealing. Okay. Um, and, and, and so that's just what it is, right? And Claude Anderson also said that life is like a Monopoly game, <laughs> right? You either work, you go to jail, or you, st- or, you, or you steal, basically, right? And stealing is gonna lead to the other, right? And so you got work. And when black people don't accept the positions that are offered to us is seen as lazy. And so what I, I had this conversation with a buddy of mine not that long ago, and I asked him, I was like, you think somebody really want to sit at home and accept government benefits that give them just enough to get by for their entire life? You think that's what they would prefer? Mm. No, that's not what they would prefer. But if the only options in their neighborhoods are low paying jobs, jobs where they don't get hours, jobs where they might have a criminal record and they can't get one, they're probably gonna give up on hope. Like hope is very, very, it's very minimal in the black community and we need more of that. Um, But as far as the, you know, like me and Chris, we talked about this before, black people be in survival mode so much, we rarely get a chance to get in the thrive mode, right? And when you come from poverty or hard times or spam sandwiches or, East side of Temple or from Pittsburgh or, or, or wherever it may be, you have to train yourself to get out of survival mode. Um, and, you know, me and Chris talk all the time, man, when we was in Texas State, we were still in survival mode and we should have been in, 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 in achievement mode the whole time we were there and we, and we, we weren't. Um, but that whole thing that black people are lazy or whatever, that's, that's a Republican talking point. That's all it is. Yeah. Um, they know black people are not Republicans, so they don't care about saying it, right? It allows everyone who is, I won't mention colors. I'll just say it allows everyone who is to believe that they got what they got from hard work and grinding and opportunity and all this other stuff like that. And we don't have because we don't do that, right? And and they, they don't address the fact that it's not that we don't do that. We ain't allowed to do it in the same places and areas that you allowed to do it. Just straight up, like we y'all don't let us in. Every chance we've gotten to get in, somebody has done something to push us back out. Um, exactly. And, and so, you know, I've, I've had a Latino coworker tell me, "Well, Mexican people were oppressed too, not like black people, bro." Don't say that. It's not the same. Yeah. Like being you not know, to discredit you, 
Right. Not to discredit right. yours, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, and that's what I said. Like, yeah, yeah, I said the Mexican American War and you know, Mexico losing and Mexicans having to be relocated back to what became Mexico after the Mexican American War. That's not the same as hereditary in bondage. That's different, right? All you passed down to your kids was the fact that they were a slave, consider that. You know what I'm saying? And I, I tell them, I'm like, y'all, y'all, this whole thing that black people became lazy, it only started once we stopped working for free. Like, where did where did that come from? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, so let's just say in the last what's strange to me, years, man, is that we take we now nah, we, we take such we take such a, a big American issue and such a, a problem that's just like at the foundation of, of 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 you know of our country, and we boil it down to Republicans and Democrats. Like to me, that's that's weird, you know, to say that we can't want them to be more successful than they want to be. And they, you know, because he's talking about the black community, that they, you know, we're trying to solve a lot of the problems that they have, but they just won't get on board. Like, I don't understand, like, how a problem mm-hmm. before these political parties were even, you know, established. This has been an issue. And for you to just, you know, pretty much boil it down to, hey, this is a Republican versus Democrat issue. And even for the black people, uh, for our black community, a lot of these, a lot of the things, a lot of these facts and statistics that Trump throws out there, they're just like crumbs that's left on the table, on this political table after the rest of the decisions have been made. Like, it's not like it's anything groundbreaking or profound that, you know, that they're really doing for the black community. I mean, these are just like, it's just stuff that they're throwing out in debates and stuff that they're throwing out in headlines just to try to grab a few more votes. And that's probably what like kind of bothers me most because it is, it's not, it's not genuine. It's very disingenuous. It's not genuine. Yeah, it's, it's not genuine at all. Yeah, you're, just it, trying to, you're just trying to grab some yeah, votes. Yeah, it's, it's completely manufactured to the point where, like, have we ever seen a Trump rally in the black community? Nope. It would be. It might be called something else. If he, sorry, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like we might, might, be, like, might be a lot of white that you see. And I'm talking yeah, about sheets white. <laughs> we don't see him go to like Southside Chicago and try to rally people and and incite some kind of hope. You know what I'm saying? We don't see that. So if you're telling me that, if you're telling me, you know, try me out because that that other group ain't working or whatever it may be, that's not enough for me, dog. And, and I have to tell. You know, uh, that same friend I was discussing this with, I had, he was like, do you think Trump's a racist? I was like, absolutely. Yeah, and he said, yeah. why? I said, because racist people like him and they wouldn't if he were not a racist. And do you not think that what Jared Kushner just said resonates <sighs> with how they feel about black people? It absolutely does. And I think I looked it up. I want to say it's like a trillion dollars in welfare that's given out every year. There ain't enough black people in America to to get a trillion dollars of welfare. Yeah, not a, like, not- who's getting a majority of that? Let's be real. It, whoever it is, it ain't us. We're 10% of the population. Can't be us, right? And when Jared Kushner says that on national television, it feeds a national narrative that that's how it is. It's like he's never been to Sugarland and seen, you know, black neighborhoods where the houses started 300,000 or been to DeSoto or Cedar Hill. You know what I'm saying? Or Northwest San Antonio. Or on the East Coast, where you have neighborhoods, whole neighborhoods where homes started million dollars and it's all black people living there. Or Baldwin Hills. and it, like, It's like he's painting this entire population with this really broad brush because I think it's what people want to hear. Like, that is a Republican talking point. Like, yeah, I, I it's not even a dog whistle anymore. It down, but that is a Republican talking point. Every Republican I hear, when race comes up, that's what they say. Or... Like saying, man, people want a handout. 
that's code for black people want welfare. That's what it is. Yep. Let's be real. They ain't talking about white people wanting to hand out. They ain't talking about Latinos. Their problem with Latinos is immigration. Their problem with black people is handouts. Like that's just what it is. That's what it's been for years. So and guys, for me, and and, and I, I didn't feel uh this way about this statement I'm about to make until this presidential with this presidential term started. I I've always been a person that supported America. And whenever I saw the red, white, and blue, man, you know, you get excited. You know, you see it in the Olympics, you hear that Star Spangled Banner, like it gives you a, a really a, a great sense of pride about the mm-hmm. country, about where you're from, about where you live, about what well, you know, what you guys actually represent, you know, the constitution, all that stuff that with all that stuff that was written, like the real intent, like you feel good about it. Since Trump has become president, when I see the flag and when I see people who are really like hard patriots, I equate it to like racism. I do too. You know, and and because when I see like the make America great again and I see people waving flags, like generally they not like for, they, they don't seem to have, you know, anything positive in mind for me. Because when you say make America great again, I'm going to think back 50 years and I'm going to think back 60 yeah. years. And when I was it great? They're I want you, but no, about when it was great. But I want you to find a society where shit was better 300 years ago than it is present day. Yeah. It's not one. Yeah. <laughs> you he, know he did a good job. Uh, he, did, he did a good job of rebranding America. Like we not like you don't see nobody going back to the to the first iPhone. Now we on the iPhone 12. You don't yeah, see nobody don't going go back to beepers. No, ain't sure. nobody going backwards. We're not giving mm-hmm. up Teslas and going back to station wagons. Yeah. And, no, and like, so why do we want to? So why do we want to do that with our industry? Why do we want to do that with our race relations and our relations with other countries? Like why do we want to go backwards when it was great again? Because the America that you consider great was not great for my people. For my people, no. shit, it, it's the best it's been. Yeah, you know um, what I'm saying. I'm a big fan. Say that. Go ahead, Dan. Now I was gonna say it's a quick hit. I want to keep it moving. I know we gotta. I, 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 I throw one more thing in though. I yes, think this is important. It. I, I say it in class all the time. Like the we, we have to understand, especially when somebody's talking about make America great again or how black people behave or whatever, right? Capitalism is designed for somebody to be at the bottom. That's just what it is. There's a top, there's a mid, there's a bottom. Tell me a time in history when black people were not the people designated to be at the bottom. And then mm-hmm. tell me when that changed. Because as far as I know. It never changed. The civil rights movement didn't change it. It just made certain things illegal. But it didn't change the, the, the code of where we were meant to be, right? So when the Constitution was written, where were we supposed to be? Us, we were supposed to be one level below women, right? Constitution has nothing to do with women's rights either, right? So when people say I'm a constitutionalist or a conservative, I want to act, that's telling me you, you would prefer things to not change for us. And that means that systematically we're still at the bottom because somebody has to be there in a capitalist society. It just yeah. so happens that instead of letting it play out on its own, America made a decision about who it was going to be. And I don't ever see them really like where on paper did they take that back? And, like, and that's- slavery is illegal does not mean black people shouldn't should be equal. You know, cause or civil rights movement saying you can't discriminate against somebody doesn't mean see them equally. That ain't right. what that means. It just means you can't discriminate, but you don't have to see me equal. You know what I'm saying? And that, and I don't see where that's ever changed in American history, nor will it. No, and I, I don't think it has. I don't. I don't think it has changed. And a lot of that has to do with just the dominant culture. You know, the dominant culture in our country is Christian, white, male. So if you don't fall into those three categories, 
You're fighting an uphill battle. Correct. Even, even Christian white woman. You know what I'm saying? Like, so the dominant culture and all the rules, you know, in the land that were constructed were for a Christian white male to, to be at the top, to be at the top of that, of that power structure. And yeah. uh, until that structure is changed or until we get enough people that are not Christian white male into those structures yeah. to, to actually change it from the inside out, you're going to continue to run into those problems. But then you have people who don't, who, when people who get into those positions and they don't fall into those three categories, they demonize them. Something is yeah, wrong with they, it. They you know what know. I'm saying? Yeah, as I, opposed I, as opposed to just you understanding that it's just not the dominant culture. Right. Not that it's something wrong with what they're doing. It's just not your dominant culture. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel I feel similar about Christianity. I'm like, look, when it comes to religion, it was widely accepted. It was, no, I didn't hear a church when it's when everything first started saying, no, nah, that's wrong. I don't know when they ever went back on that. When did they print something? When did they put some doctrine out? When did they put out something that said, yeah, that's that's not right, right? Our place in Christianity was there as well. And that's why it coincided with where it was in capitalism, here at least. And I've never heard like a retraction or anything like that from that. And I think one hand kind of washes the other in all of those, in, in all of those situations. Y'all boys spitting, man. These boys spitting. <laughs> I got a quick hit, man. It looks like um, 74 million people have cast their ballot early for the presidential election. Just to provide some context, in 2016, the total count was 136 million. So we're over half um, in regards to uh, people that have gotten out and gotten their vote in early, man. So I want to applaud everybody that's out there getting their votes in, man. But quick so, thoughts about what y'all think about that and, and the vote. What do you think, uh, what does that mean in your in your opinion? High voter turnout usually means Democrats win. Low voter turnout usually means Republicans win. That's why they're doing things to suppress the vote. That's why they have a you know majority in the Supreme Court that has said your ballot, if it's not to a certain place at a certain time, um, would not be accepted. And that's why the president has cut funding to the post office is because he don't want them to be able to get all those ballots and get them to the right spots. Like this is voter suppression. It's just done legally. And that's why I really hope Democrats get in the office so that maybe they'll start playing the win and they'll change some of this stuff legally if they can. Cause right now they're just playing to play Republicans play to win. I got to give them that. Yeah. <laughs> got to give them that. But uh, yeah, m more voter turnout. And Republicans know that when voter turnout is high, they lose. Yep. Um, that's just what it is. Why did voter, man? Like now, it's just like, let's get this shit over with, man. Let's just see. Did you um, go the first day? Nah, hell no, hell no. But, uh, yeah, I was yeah. there the first day. I couldn't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, uh, I had to uh, check. I had to get some shit situated with my voter registration. But like you said, like hopefully... I think it's gonna be a little tighter than than that, but I think I think we're gonna get it, man. I think we're gonna get it, and then it's up to us to uh, keep. And maybe this will work because since we we technically don't like Joe that much, maybe we'll be able to see through personalities and be able to keep his, his feet to the fire because that's what's important. All the people uh, complaining about voting don't ever talk about how black people fail to keep politicians accountable to their vote. Yeah, I hope we don't drag Joe. Once he's in, I hope we don't drag him so much that it sets the party back. You know, like I That's can, what we I can make the argument. That. Yeah, we can make the argument that Trump has set the Republican Party back. Like real 
conservative Republicans feel like he is the worst thing to happen to the party, even though he's in charge and they need him to help them get reelected. They actually feel that way. He's not a Reagan Republican. He's not a Bush Republican. You know what I'm saying? And I hope that people like AOC and Bernie and anybody else, I hope that they realize that this is still politics at the end of the day. Got to play and, the game. You yeah, and Joe, game. right, all Joe can do is sign papers that get to his desk. He can help introduce legislation. It's still got to get through the House. Still got to get through the Senate. And all he can do, do is sign papers that get to his desk. So I hope that they don't burn the House down from the inside um, because that kind of stuff, when you had 10 people on the debate stage, it's, it, it made it real hard for people, man. Right. You know, see, so I, we got enough problems really, as it is. I really feel like, um, first of all, I, first of all, I think uh, early voting is is the high turnout is good. I think it's important for people to get out and early vote to avoid all all the drama that can happen if yeah. you're trying to vote on election day. You having to go into your precinct, long lines, potential bad weather, uh, you know, having to social distance because of COVID and all those things. Like, get out and early vote because you can vote, you know, anywhere. There's a polling. Uh, polling available. You can get in, you can get out. I early voted. It was, you know, pretty smooth. Uh, also, I really don't think Trump, you said he's not a Reagan Republican and he's not a Bush Republican because I really don't think Trump is really a Republican at heart. He's I not. think, he, yeah, I no, think no. he's more, I think he's more of an opportunist and he yeah. understood that in order for me, you know, to get elected, I got to kind of, you know, put all of my eggs in either one of these two baskets. So that's what he did. Well, if you're going to run on the racism platform and stuff like that and make America great again, you better be a Republican because you will never make it to the stage as a Democrat. Yeah. Right. So, and also, I, you know, kind of like what you were saying, you know, Chris and also Greg, you know, not wanting to burn the house in from the outside out. I, I think, I well, I hope, I hope the Democratic Party does something uh, or we find somebody who can really be the face of the party because one of the yeah. biggest problems that, you know, the black community have with the Democratic Party is they don't really identify with us. They're yeah. out pulling and prodding and trying to get a population that doesn't want them. And then yeah. we're as a black community, you know, particularly, you know, young black men looking for, you know, a political party to identify with us and speak to the needs and speak to the thing, the concerns that we have and nobody stepping up to the plate and, do, and, and doing it. So, you know, yeah, I, if, if Joe Biden does, you know, get in, I hope my man gets in, uh, you know, him and Kamala Harris. But I hope they do something. You know, yeah. I hope somebody rises because truth be told, President Obama is still the face of the Democratic Party. Even even in an election season, when, he, when Obama like comes, yeah, he like Drake being on your on your record, dog. He's a stimulus package <laughs> for anybody that's a Democrat. And like one thing about Republicans and why they do well is, man, like they got disagreements for about three years, but when election season comes, they all yeah. on the same page. Yeah, right. And like that's the why they're successful, right? That that's why it's because they're all on the same page. I heard Lindsey Graham and all the other people say all that stuff about Trump on the debate stage, and as soon as he was the candidate. I support President Trump, you know, this and that, like, and they've done it for three or four years, right? Because they play to win. And I hope Democrats play to win and we need to win the Senate. Yeah, like yeah. De Democrats yeah. need to win the Senate or else Joe being in there really ain't gonna matter. He gonna have the same problems Obama had trying to get stuff passed. Yep. Right. Exactly. Gotta win the Senate. A lot of people don't realize a lot of the things that are stuck in the Senate right now. You know what I'm saying? Like criminal justice reform, uh, yep. minimum wage. So all them motherfuckers talking about not voting. They don't understand that those yeah, senators bro. And like, are, 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 I'm, I'm kind of upset that Kamala is, Kamala is more valuable to us as a senator because we're already not in the majority. 
Mm-hmm. If, if you're a Democrat, right? So every time you lose one, yeah, whoever takes our spot, you know, will we'll probably be a Democrat being from California, but um, they got to be somebody with some pool. And, you know, people are most powerful really when they're in the Senate and the Senate has a majority. The president can only sign what gets to their desk. And I just hope we get some people in there, even if they're Republicans, I hope we get people in there willing to vote on stuff instead yeah. of just, we're not even going to take it to a vote. Yeah. But why I are you Collins, there? Trying to, I think- <laughs> like, why are you there if you ain't going to do your job and vote, man? Like, yeah. the, your job is to introduce legislation, get people to support it, and then to vote on it. Whether you vote yes or no, cool. Yes. But a lot of these dudes don't want to vote on uh, criminal justice reform and stuff like that because when they vote no, it's on their record officially. Yep. Yes. And then exactly. somebody can use it against them. So, like, I, I've been on a trip to Washington with students where we sat in our house rep's office and they asked him five or six questions about problems in the United States. And his answer to every single one of them was charity work by people who live in, like homeless people, solving the homeless problem in the area. People should bring the homeless into their homes. Or we should we need to pass that back to the states. I'm like, bro, if you don't want to vote on shit, why are you here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you, want want the look, so, you want the look so you can be a lobbyist when you're done? Yeah, and, and like I said, he just don't want to vote because if he votes no on things that a majority of his constituents actually think and support, like criminal justice, that's something everybody can get behind criminal justice reform. There's as many white people uh, getting arrested and stuff like that. Not as many as us, but there's a ton of them who would like they, they record expunged and stuff like that. Like that's a problem that helps everyone. And if you vote against that, you know, you play yourself. And I, um, I, I would uh, argue Dino sentiments. He just put a, I would argue that gaining judicial seats is where the new effort should be going forward. And he, oh, that's yeah. a fact. I hope he packed the court. I hope yeah, he, 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 he has to. He has I hope to. he packed every court, bro. Because yeah. Republicans are roughly 32% of America. Mm. Why should 32% of the people get to make decisions for the other 68? Yep. It, that's crazy. So what for the Electoral College, you probably wouldn't even see. Right. You'd never see a Republican court. president. Never. Right. You'd never see one. You'd never see one. Shit, nope. man, let's keep this, let's keep this shit bro. Uh, on this yeah, um, let me kind of unpack this why I want to bring talk about this thing. So, like, uh, I was talking to I was talking to my LB, uh, Mo Coy McDermott, um, the other day, and we was talking about the Rona and how, um, with school and how he was able to, um, make so much leaps and bounds with his daughter because she was at home. With her, with him, with, with him, um, and we didn't even say this. Greg and, and, and Chris are are teachers, black male teachers. So those are like unicorns, and that's why we got them on the show. I wish I said that in the beginning, y'all, but we'll put that <laughs> on. And I used to be a high school counselor, and so, but anyway, uh, he was talking about how he was able to make such leaps and bounds with his daughter because he was able to connect with her and because he was just able to put in a little bit more attention. Hindsight then, I get I get coronavirus. I literally just got over coronavirus. So I had to keep Remy home with me the last two weeks and I've been teaching Remy and it's been a challenge a little bit, but overall it's been such a blessing because I've been able to see how my kid learned and I've been able to see how this online shit, if you don't have a a parent next to you, with the kindergartner at least. Yep, bro, this shit is like, and so there are studies coming out right now saying that it's already black people. There's a gap. 
it's already a gap, right? And you already got shit like what's going on with Jeff Garcia and Cam Newton in the classroom, being that I don't know Daquan, he looks some off and I just, I can't reach him. He don't want to be here or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm seeing, I'm looking at my daughter and I love my daughter. I'm, I'm breaking it down to her and I'm like, okay, I'm saying it, trying to say it in a way that makes sense to her and she's getting it. Not that she wasn't getting that first, but I can tell from the computer is not how she learned, y'all. You know right. what I'm saying? Because the teacher over on the other side teaching the real people in the classroom and she hearing it so she don't feel like she's being talked to. So my point of bringing y'all on is to say two things. I want to hear about y'all's experience, but I also want us as a people to realize this is an opportunity if you're willing to take that challenge to step in and lead right now. And I know, Dame, you had the kids home for a long time and it's not easy, but it's an opportunity to, to A, learn more about your kids' education. Like, I, I see how distracting was. I saw how if you didn't, didn't move all that shit out the way, how she would just go squirrel. And right. so, A, to empower us as parents to uh, meet this heads on and not run from it let this computer just teach us our kids and then to get from y'all perspective as black educators, how we can uh, be leaders of our kids education. Because I know when I was a counselor, I know I didn't, I didn't have no black parents coming to the parent meetings. And so I feel like it's not because they weren't bad parents. They just didn't know the game. And I know yeah. since y'all in the inside, y'all know how to play the game for you. It's not about necessarily representation because I know the Asian kids, they didn't have no Asian teachers. They didn't have no Asian curriculum, but they was able to make the game work for them in their best benefit. So I said a lot there, but chime in wherever you feel. I just want to introduce that and kind of what it, it led me to kind of bring me that, um, bring me there. Go ahead, Chris. What grade you teach, Chris? Uh, I'm, I'm third grade. I teach third grade math. I'll let you go. We start with the young kids because I, I don't have too much uh, experience with that. Okay. So uh, I think the biggest thing uh, that I've noticed is I've got a... I've got a sixth grade daughter and then a, a fourth grade son as well. So during this, you know, this whole pandemic, like we've all been at home along with my wife. And uh, so it, it's been a different experience, you know, all of us being under one roof, kind of working together, grinding together, seeing them, you know, in school. And that, that, that school has, you know, done a good job in the way they've, they've launched, you know, the virtual learning and, and all those things. But the biggest thing that I think that parents you have to understand, teachers, school districts, everything, that the idea of success and what that looks like pre-COVID and during COVID is different. So the way we evaluated students, uh, the emphasis that we placed on, you know, standardized testing and, you know, just a lot of, a lot of the monotonous things. I know Greg, you know, can probably speak more to that. that. The way we evaluated students, it looks different because this is a different environment. You can't just give, you know, a test to the students online and expect, you know, the grade to come back to have a lot of integrity. Because if you're any type of parent and if you see your eight, nine, 10 year old struggling with something, you're right there, you're gonna help them. So right. as a teacher, it is more difficult for us to evaluate the students and where they are, but it is an opportunity because in the state of Texas, we're not really taking that big star standardized test. So now for a teacher, especially for a third grade teacher like myself, where the majority of the kids that get, you know, that go to the next grade, regardless of where they are in the state, there are some gaps there. 
there's some stuff that they don't know from the previous year, whether they're coming from kinder to first or from six to seven. This is an opportunity for us to close those gaps, to really, you know, get that foundational learning, for, to teach the, the kids really how to understand, how to read, write, add, subtract. Those are the, the building blocks. Those are the foundational things that are going to carry them through the rest of their, you know, through the rest of their life and the rest of their education career. But too many times in education, we just push the kids on through. You know, and, you know, when they get to an age or they get to the grade where they're taking a star or the ACT or the SAT, even though you might have a student that can make 90s, they don't do well on those tests because they don't have that foundation of learning. They don't have that foundation of understanding. So just the idea of what success looks like pre-COVID and now is different. You know, you can't always look at that grade on their report card as the determination of success because a 90 on their report card may not actually be a 90. That How may do we be- know? How do we know, bro? Whether it was COVID or not, I feel like if parents knew the real state that their child was in, and I feel like they didn't know until they was in high school and they got that 850 on PSAT. And it's too late. You know what I'm saying? So as parents in your position as elementary, or you even you grade like how do we get a, a accurate assessment of where our kids are? How, what can parents do? Because uh, if if I feel like if they knew better, they would do something about it, or at least gives them an opportunity to do something about it if they knew. Um, I, I would say the easiest way when you get a high school, it's easier to fake it. I'll put it like that's one thing I've noticed. Like if you can't read and you're at an age like ten and you should be able to read, you can't fake that, right? right. In high school. If you're not picking up stuff, like if you don't know when the Declaration of Independence was signed or this or that, like those things are not nearly as catastrophic to your educational career if you don't know them. Um, Making a 70 in English four is not catastrophic. You know, when you go to college, you're going to get into community college. You're going to write papers. You're going to have a writing lab. You're going to have this. You're going to have that. You're going to have Grammarly and whatever. Like, there's not much of a personal touch there anyway. Like, you can fake that. Um, and I think a lot of kids have been faking that for a long time as it is. Um, well, especially with technology now. You yeah. Can get your, you can get your homework and stuff done without even Correct. having – You can Google the answer. Correct. Right. And, and, and that kind of mm-hmm. goes into something else I was going to say was, like, my kids are having trouble. You know, like maybe not in my class, but they're having trouble because I I put it this way. We're computer savvy. We're tech savvy, right? Mm. We can work computers, phones, um, iPads, TVs, all that stuff. Kids are phone savvy. We're not content mastery. That's what I'm saying, bro. It's just phone savvy. Like in my class, I've had to show them how to indent, how mm. to um, bullet points, numerical oh, points oh what like when you go one on a numerical point you drop down you hit tab to mm-hmm. get an a you hit tab to get a roman numeral. like that kind of stuff i've had to teach them like the most basic things that we learned growing up because they're not computer savvy and the problem with covid learning it ain't phone based it's computer based yep. and they don't have computer literacy they have phone literacy for a lot of my kids, that's what it is. So that's the number one like barrier I see to maybe getting what I'm looking for from them when there's anything that's involved with writing. Um, also, they're phone savvy. Um, they they quick type everything. 
getting them to write responses for something, I have to literally put in the instructions. Capitalize the first letter. (laughs) Use complete sentences. A sentence is a complete thought. We're typing this not for media. We're typing this as a paper. So a paragraph is three to five sentences instead of of two to three. Like I have to, I can't assume that they know it because I find out so many of them don't. I have to to ask for a 50 word minimum to a short answer question because they'll hit me with something they can find online and or something. They'll hit me with something quick and they don't put together complete thoughts. And when I ask them to do things like 50 word minimum, they have to at least think of two or three different ways to say it. And at that point, I know there's some retention there Um, with with black students. Um, we don't have a very big Asian population at the school I work at. We never have. Um, I would say one problem with black students is for black students, not a problem with them, a a problem for black students. I've said this a lot, depending on who your teacher is, you may, you, you may benefit from being marked ESL because if they don't know how to talk to you, they basically speak in a different language. Mm. And and that's real. And for a lot of black kids, um, yeah, I got a question, I got a question too when you get a second. Okay, yeah. So um you you say what day? So I got a question when you get a second. I didn't want to okay. break you. I didn't want to break you down. Yeah, so um there's an assimilation for a lot of cultures. Um if somebody is Latino and they speak Spanish, they get ESL services, which they should get. Um for a culture that re- that kind of refuses to assimilate or wants to stay defined by things that they want to define themselves, it's going to be hard for them to communicate in a lot of classes, whether they be black, Indian, whatever it may be. Um, black people have not assimilated to certain portions of culture, and that contributes to a communication gap between a lot of teachers and black students. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Um, if you have a teacher who is 70, 60, let's say 60, right? So um, they are from a predominantly white neighborhood. Um, if they have not had relationships with um, other black people their age throughout their lives, the likelihood that not saying it's impossible because I know many teachers where this is not an issue, um, but the likelihood that they know how to communicate to a young black man is, 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 you know, it's low. Um, part of the reason I grew dreads is because there was a stereotype of how kids with dreads in our school work. Mm. It's funny. It's funny. You say that, man, Tracy, she just, she told me about a study that was just conducted with Harvard and they had the teachers basically watch all the students that were in the classroom. There were like probably five students and it was like one black kid and uh, like four uh, different race kids, like mm-hmm. a mixture of white, Asian. And they wanted to check and, you know, kind of see how the kids would interact with each other within the classroom so they could do the study. But they didn't tell them that the study was really on the teachers to see how they would respond to the students in the class, and they said mm-hmm. every single teacher, even the black teachers that they had, the the it was an unconscious bias. They would always watch the black kid the whole time, like like 80, 90 percent of the time. They wanted to know what that black kid was doing in the classroom to make sure that he wasn't acting up or he, or he was paying attention. Mind you, 
other kids in the classroom were doing a lot more than what the black kid was doing, but they just had that unconscious bias to watch yeah. the black kids. Yeah, the whole time. And, and black teachers, we check on black kids by default. Like it's almost like we ain't checking to see if they're doing something bad. We checking on to make sure they're doing things right. Right. And it feels like I'm watching you. And in a way, yeah, I kind of am. I'm, wa- I'm watching out for you. You take it as I'm watching. You. Yeah. For- <laughs> Yeah. So at our school, at, at our school, because uh, I'm I'm in the inner city of Dallas, so the majority of our kids, like our school is maybe 70% black, 30% Hispanic. So our school would be, and a lot of like professional developments and a lot of trainers and a lot of books that are written, like I don't think they're necessarily written to to the to the demographic at our school because we're like so outside of the norm. Like it's kind of an anomaly to have a primarily black staff from admin to counselors, from kindergarten teachers to, you know, throughout the whole building that's pretty much black and Hispanic for the most part. Mm -hmm. But um, like with Chris, what you asked, like, what can we do as parents? What can we do? What can we do? The biggest thing that you can do is just like be hands on with your kids in terms of their education. Because like Greg said, in, in, in high school, a lot of that stuff you can fake. And if you can't, you know, pass if you can't pass your yeah. world geography class like it might not matter but if you can't pass my math class that could be that could be detrimental yeah. <laughs> you know that could be detrimental to your to your future so the biggest thing hold, hey, hold on hey well, I still got that question I want that question hold on go ahead, go ahead. okay the biggest thing is like parents you parents the parents really have to be hands on and, and I know it's difficult and nobody you know and, and like well, I'm not trained to be a teacher you you definitely you know you don't have to be trained to be a teacher to take that, to take a risk to make sure your your kid has what they need. Because even most of the teachers, none of us went to school to be virtual teachers, but all no. of us are having to learn how to do it. We've learned, we're learning these technology platforms. We're trying to find ways to connect. We're changing the way we internalize our lessons and the way we deploy our lessons to be able to grab, you know, students who we wouldn't normally grab. And I will say for some students, the online learning, it's a big hurdle for them. Maybe it's a challenge for them, but for many other students, it's great because they don't have a distraction. And then they can sit still and focus on the TV. And I can yeah. see some students who wouldn't be doing, who wouldn't do well in a traditional setting, excelling online. But at the same time, I have kids who would excel online, who just can't seem to do as well as, you know, as you would expect them to do virtually. That's why I say the way we look at success, is just gotta be different because yeah. it's real, different. Real quick, uh, so my question for y'all is, so with the traditional form of education and how it's structured right now, do you think there needs to be like a complete overhaul? Because what the way I see it, I mean, from pre-K through 12th grade, all I see it as is a preparation for you to get out into the workforce. You'll be able to work a nine to five because that's what you're essentially doing. Yeah, school, I, I, do the students have to have like, or should we change to a, a skill set type of format where we're teaching a trade? Um. So that option, like at least in my school, that option is there. We have a... a a program where you can go into become a machinist, electrician, construction worker with all the certifications you need, maritime business, welding, things like that. And kids love that and it's really good for them. Mm. Um, I, w- I would say this. I have Beware once told me this. And he said all a degree means is that you're trainable. You can be right. trained to do a job. Unless you're going to be a lawyer, doctor, engineer, you know, computer engineer, something like that. Really your degree means that when somebody tried to teach you something, you can learn about 70% of it really well, right? Yeah, enough mm. to do the job. And high school, I think we have to be careful in pushing people 
to careers and skill-based stuff. And the reason I say that is because though there's not a lot of money in it, being artistic is fulfilling. Right. And when you try to train kids to be something when they're 18, how many of y'all are the same and like the same stuff you like when you were 18? Oh, I can't even right? remember. Yeah. So, so remember. we teach this kid to go do this or go do that. Um, and we try to push them to those things. What happens if they look up when they, it, you know, they 35? I called Chris one day. I was like, man, I wish I would have done this particular thing when I was in high school and kept going because now I'm 35 and I feel like I can't start. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Because I got, I got a kid. I got a house. I've been doing my job for so long. I might as well stay in it. I'm a public school teacher. We don't pay into Social Security. We pay into TRS. So That's I good. feel like I can't go back. And I think that if you train kids to be something so early, man, you know, it you is. You hold them. They're, they're stuck yeah, in there. Yeah. yeah. And, and they'll feel so stuck in there. And it, and it suppresses yeah. that artistic ability, too. Like, think, yeah. I'm, I'm going to take Kanye West. Kanye West is a gift to music. <laughs> he's crazy, right? I think he's crazy. I also think he's brilliant, though. And those two things often coincide with one another. He's yeah. a gift to music. What if somebody would have pushed Kanye to go do something else, like, you know, be a, um, hell, I don't know. Um, electrician. Yeah, Shit. or, yeah, be an electrician. Because they thought, man, he's a black kid from inner city Chicago and opportunities are scarce. We're going to put him in somewhere we know he can work. Let's push him to that. Think about the things we wouldn't have artistically. And not mm-hmm. just with him, Basquiat. Let's say, oh man, Basquiat, you, you should go get a job, man. You're 22 and you're an artist and that don't pay bills and blah, blah, blah. Think about the things we wouldn't have. And I yeah. know everybody wants to say that life is about, you know, fulfilling, you know, having a good life is about getting a good job, making good money, make sure you take care of your family, this and that. But I, I feel like that there's a starving artist in a lot of people. And if we suppress that, we're going to miss out on a lot of the gems. It's like we were saying to start the podcast, man. We don't know who, like, there's probably somebody out there who's a better business mind than Jeff Bezos. And we'll never know because he didn't have the starter money. <laughs> and, Greg, <laughs> and, Greg, and Greg, it's crazy that you that you, that you said that because, like, I, I, I kind of feel the same way uh, in terms of, I don't think that we need to, like, completely overhaul it. I think that... Education should be have a lot of options, just like the real world mm-hmm. does. So, like, I think that this, this is great that a lot of people, that a lot of, you know, students are getting an opportunity to go to school online because they this might be a bend that's better for them. You might have students where a career-oriented education may be better for them, but I definitely wouldn't want to pigeonhole, uh, you know, like the, the mass of the children or the mass yeah, of the kids toward a particular career because I feel like it'll limit them. Yeah, you know? and Pete, like, I, you say you got third grade, right? Right. So so when they get to me, when they get to high school, if a kid is like a problem child or they get in trouble a lot or they have problems with grades or whatever, the first thing they ask me is, what do you want to do for a living? Mm. And a kid don't know. You don't know what you want to oh, do yeah. when you're 15, 16, 17. And they push them to that. They, they push them to that. And that kid plans the next three, four years of their life off that. And if it doesn't come to fruition... And and, and and to me, to me, education gives you freedom. And that's the reason that I'm in education, yep. because I did not go to school to be a teacher. But 
I went to school and got a good enough education because I've worked in a lot of different industries, a lot of different fields. And me having an education has given me the freedom to choose what I want to do. Same. Right. I did not you, go to school to be a teacher. Right. So if you, you know, just kind of pigeonhole a kid toward a particular career, now you're taking away that freedom from them. You're, you're taking yeah. away their ability to choose. And you're going to have a, a, a ton of kids who don't necessarily check all those academic boxes. But so many times, those are the people who end up being entrepreneurs and end up running companies. And because, you know, really to be, you know, successful in America, you don't have to be a brainiac. You have to be able to build relationships. You have to be likable. You have to be able, you got to have that hustle, that dog in you. And then if you have the, you don't have to have the the highest IQ or the biggest brain to do that. Because then I can hire the person with the big brain to run my company, to run my HR department. And and, and I was telling a a first grade teacher this the other day. She was like telling me about a young man who can be, you know, could be a little bit of trouble, but you can tell the dude is, you know, you can tell like this little guy is intelligent, man. He got a little swag about him. You know, he got a nice little air about himself. Even as a young person, I said, now he'll be the person that'll be an entrepreneur. He'll be the person that'll take that risk that the really academic person can't take because mentally their brain won't let them take their risk, won't get over their hurdle. And then yep. he'll be, you know, and he'll hire her. And he'll hire him yeah. To, yeah. To, to run a company, to be the lawyer. So I think, like you said, even with the art, the art part of it, you want people to be able to have that creativity, but then you don't want to pigeonhole them. You don't want yeah. to pigeonhole them. And you want people to be able to choose. You want people to have the freedom. And if you, you know, have somebody and it, once they're 14 years old, from 14 to 18, they go to school to be a mechanic. And all of a sudden, when they're 25, they don't want to be a mechanic anymore. Now what they do. Mm-hmm. Let me say this, because uh, I got to I gotta get out here where y'all continue. Um, I feel so that was my lane. I was the college and career counselor. So I had those conversations and those were very difficult because school is so behind on the marketplace. And by the time they get out of think about when they get out of high school and then they get out of college, life is totally different. The jobs that are that they're preparing for many times will not even be there. You know what I'm saying? Like like uh, eight years ago, somebody was was preparing for app development. That's that's hot now. I don't know what it's going to be in eight years. So it's, it is about developing some foundational skills that can allow you to permeate different things. Y'all know I've had many stops, but that's OK because I've educated. I had the foundational things that I can move and do whatever. Boom. Just got light, real estate license, got to sell. You know what I mean? Because I can deal with people and whatnot. So I think that's important as parents we also need to stay privy to the marketplace because these we can't expect these 18-year-olds to make our life decision. Yes, somebody, some kids wake up out of the womb and they want to be a doctor their whole life. That's an easy, that's a layup. Good for you. That wasn't me. I don't think that was you, Greg. I don't think that was y'all. You know what I'm saying? Everybody else, you're going to have to build that career. And you build those with experiences. It's hard to be what you can't see and what you have don't have ex- exposed to. You know what I mean? I went to be I went to Texas State to be a sound recording tech major because I saw Puffy on <laughs> on TV. That's real. That's why I really went to Texas State. Otherwise, I went to I would have went to U of H. But but uh, the sound recording tech program was at Texas State. So anyway, I want y'all to continue that. And then after this thing, right? Remember this. I want y'all to talk about personnel experiences y'all experienced as black men in education, especially you, Prater, like you have being a black male teacher for 
for a younger elementary, that's like a real, like, I ain't, bro, that's that's so rare, bro. I had a black male algebra teacher, y'all. If I didn't have Mr. Parr as a black male algebra <laughs> teacher, come on, bro. That's a unicorn. That's that's rare. So I got to hop off here, but I want y'all to continue the conversation. Sorry, I got to get off. I got to do another speech. But y'all continue, man. Man, I'm, I hate I got to get off. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> but y'all keep it rolling, man. Proud of y'all. Yeah, dude, bro. Good seeing you. All right. Later. Mm. <laughs> No, nah, man. Yeah. Like he was saying, man, I definitely I definitely want to keep the conversation going. And like you said, Greg, I, I agree with you 100 percent. I think the whole way that, you know, I'm going to raise Mason and Aiden moving forward is I want them to have that creative mind state to look. You don't need to be worried about a job. Let me make the sacrifices financially to get to a point where I'm giving you the layup before you actually get out there. So if you think of something like let's do it, let's try it. Yeah. Let's see where um, it goes. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I'm starting, I don't know if I told y'all, but I'm trying to start this little clothing line and it's just basically designing stuff. And what got me was I'm sitting there looking at my son, fresh out the womb, maybe like a week old. And I'm like, man, how am I going to prepare him for life? I didn't have, I don't remember seeing my dad very much when I was little. Uh, you know, everybody I knew, I, I say this and I'll say it in a bad way. That was a worker bee. You know what yep. I'm saying? Like they, you know, and so I thought to myself, Graveyard gonna, chips. yeah, and I'm saying, what am I going to tell my son if he walk up to me one day and say he want to start his own business? Mm. Like, am I going to be the parent that's like, man, get you a job? Or am I going to be the dude that's like, well, go ahead. I can't help y'all nothing about it. So I was like, I'd rather do this. It's something I had a passion to do when I was in high school. I'd rather do this and if I fail, fall flat on my face, lose all my money for it, cool. I ain't going to put that much into it. But I can at least tell him that I tried it. I did right. it. If he struggled with it and he come ask me something, I could tell him, hey, I struggle with that too. Or this is what I did and this is what I did wrong. I love to give my son information about what I did wrong. And I couldn't ask my dad for that. Man. And so I, I didn't know who to ask for it either. So yeah. uh, that was like my main thing. I think letting kids express their creativity because I'm going to be honest with you. If I don't went to my mom when I was 18, I said, hey, mama, can you buy me a sewing machine, a serger, <laughs> and show me where to get some fabric and some leather? I really want to do this clothing thing. I like it a lot. I, w- I want to try. I want to fall flat on my face. I want I want to go to L.A. Uh, can you help me pay for an apartment in L.A. while I try to figure this out or in New York while I try to figure this out? She'd have looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah, thanks. And that's why I never asked. And that's why I never did it. And it's not her her fault. But my mom was kind of like I talked about before. She was always in, in grind mode, and survival mode. And you can't take chances in survival mode. And I would love yep. for my son to feel like he can take chances. Right. And because the people who take chances are the ones that are successful. Yeah, man. And it's funny that you say that because even during this pandemic, like my daughter and two of her friends, like they're all they're really smart girls and you know they're athletic and whatnot, but they started a clothing line during the pandemic. Shout out, shout out to them. I saw that. Shout out Yeah, to them. and I was really proud of them because like I I'm kind of creative, but I'm I'm not very entrepreneurial right now. Like I, I you know, like I can, you know, kind of manage some things, kind of project manage some stuff and get and, and get, definitely get things done. But just like from the ground up. And I was so proud of them because they sat down at, you know, 10 and 11 years old and came up with, you know, a logo. They created their own logo. They came up with a mission purpose. They had, uh, you know, 
the the merchandise that they would sell. Some of it they actually create the designs they create on them on their own. And I've seen them, you know, in grind mode, be able to do this. They've already had an interview with a magazine here in Dallas talking about like, hey man, how did y'all come up with this? How did you do it? And it makes me really proud because I don't necessarily like it's nothing wrong, you know, with having a job and kind of, you know, being a, a quote unquote working be like like Greg said, but I was telling them last week that, hey, you know, you always want to take it a step further every generation. So I look and see what my great grandmother who just passed away last year, she was 102 years old. She was born like in 1918. She only had up to a sixth grade education. And I see how far in one generation with my grandmother and my aunt and my uncles, how far they became it was engineers and business owners, you know, and, you know, military personnel. And they all did extremely well for themselves. And now I look and see the next generation. So I told them, like, it's up to you guys to take it a step further. So we have to, you know, we have to, I have to equip them as a dad, you know, as a father, I got to equip them, but I also have to be able to like, know that the way they're going to probably make money and the decisions they're going to make probably is not the way that I did. So I'm going to have to be open to it. I'm going to have to really push in, you know, kind of, Almost yeah. nurture, nurture those abilities. It, it, <laughs> as hard as it might be, you know, as hard as it might be. I think that I think that's going to be a big part of it, just for all parents, especially black parents, is the the level of discomfort that you're going to see mm-hmm. because growing up, you saw something different. You know, like Greg, I was raised by my grandmother, and she worked a graveyard shift at a steel company. So you know, she's working twelve hours, and you know, there's not really, yeah, exactly. There's not time to really sit down and talk about business or even get to a point to to have that opportunity like your daughter has with her with her friends. But I guarantee you that exposure that she's getting right now is gonna pay dividends in the future because yeah. she's getting it at a at a young age right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a lot of people that wanna be, you know, I hear everybody talking about I'm a boss. I'm a boss. If my son wanna be a boss, I at least want to like give him, be able to give him some kind of advice. Cause I'm gonna be like, man, if he asked me about hooping, I, I can help him out. If he asked me about lifting weights, I can help him out. If he asked me about all kinds of things, I don't ever want there to be something where I'm like, I, I don't know, or you know what I'm saying? Like, or I don't want to see him thinking that he taking a risk his own daddy wouldn't want to take for something he was as passionate about. Right. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I don't ever want him to look at me and think that I can't help him with the process of something. Cause honestly, like, you know, kind of like your grandma, my mom worked a full-time job and then worked overnight on the weekends. I was 10 staying at home by myself. Like I didn't think she was the person I could go to about starting a clothing line or starting a business because that's a risk. And I didn't see her as like a risk taker. I saw her as she gonna always do exactly what she needs to do. She don't have time. Yeah, we don't have money for risk. We don't have time for risk. Um, And in a in a way, like I said, I just I don't want Z to think he can't ask me about that because that's a lonely place, especially if it's something that you're passionate about. Like think about that. At 18, I wanted to do that. I didn't start it till I was 35 for 17 years of wanting to do something. But I'm thinking I'm in survival mode because everybody I've ever seen and known is in survival mode. Until I got to Texas State, no cap. Until I got to Texas State, I did not like. I had to kind of recalibrate because I didn't I, like. That was the first time in my life I saw people that was in like achieve mode, as opposed to 
survival mode. And it took some time for me to adjust to that. It really did. It was really uncomfortable too. Like me and Chris used to talk about it all the time that it was like, man, it's different. Like, I don't understand these people here. Like, I don't get it. Cause I was a Juco <laughs> product. That's a totally different world from Texas State. So you know bring I mean? it, bringing it back to the school, how how uh, how are you like teaching the kids now with that mindset that you have in regards to you know uh, trying to I, grow that creative side for them? I take as much stuff as I can offline. That's one thing. I take as much stuff as I can and turn it into an interpretation um, project so that they have to think. Um, there was one year I haven't done it in a while because I was teaching a different class. There was one year I said, you know. We talking about France and the Louvre. I said, I want you to create a piece of art and put history behind it. Like things like that to try to get them to think and give me an explanation of it. And we even talked in class the other day. You should be asking why. This is the time in life where you should be asking why. Why am I this? Why do I believe this? Why do my parents believe this? Why is this my religion as opposed to this? Why is my family in this political party instead of this? And then when you get an answer, why ask why that's the answer too? Like there's mm-hmm. a big portion of philosophy in life right. and they really have to, once you can merge that creative side with philosophy, your job is just your job. It's not your life. You have other passions outside of that, that you can focus on. And that's who you, that's when you really know who you are. Like I've told the kid before, Hey, why do you support this person politically? I don't have an opinion about it, but I want you to know why you do. Because mm-hmm. if all you're going to do is follow what your family do or follow what your friends do, who are you? You, should, hey, hey, crazy. you know what I'm saying? You got to figure out who you are in this world. The later you figure it out, the more trapped you may be in your situations and your realities. The younger you figure it out, you had that freedom, dog to really be who you are and you don't have to march to the beat of anybody else's drum. Doesn't mean you can't work in a school like me at Prater. Um, obviously we all got jobs. We got to pay bills. We got to keep roofs off our heads, but I don't feel trapped in my job because I have something to express who I am outside of it. And if you become your job, like I said, who are you? Man, I, I agree with you. And and I, I, I teach because I want to teach like, right. And that's that's the truth. Like I enjoy what I I enjoy what I do. Like every day I, I go to work, I feel like I'm making a connection, not only with the students that are in the classroom, but in, especially with virtually some of the families. And then also just kind of giving them like an, another look of what success could look like. You know what I mean? Yes. Like you can have tattoos. I got visible tattoos. You know, I teach elementary school. I've got, you know, locks. My ears appear. You know what I mean? I wear a chain to work most days. I wear Jordans, Tim's. I mean, but I want them to see like a person that looks like this. And even for some of the people in our building, yeah, you can look like this and still be, you know, a positive, you know, a, a positive person. You can look like this and not be trying to hit somebody over the head. That's number one. Number mm-hmm. two, like you said, Damon, trying to, how do you help uh, the students, you know, to be able to kind of push their creativity, I always try to give them real world examples. Like regardless of what the problem is, I try to give them a real world example because a lot of times kids think, okay, I'm going to put my academic brain on. I'm going to put my math brain on. Oh, I'm going reading. I got to put my reading brain on. No, I always try to give them a real world connection. You know, and a lot of times since my kids are younger, 
you know, it's like, hey, you know, what if you go to a store and you try to purchase this and that? And then and now they're like, oh, it's not just two. It's not just three. Like, no, nah, these are real world applications that you can use. And then my first, my very first year in school, you know, I had to kind of recalibrate like the way I even engaged the kids because I was brought up in, in, in an era where you don't ask why. Kids are more so to be seen and not heard from. But, you know, in today's learning environment, in today's environment, the kids are more inquisitive. And then what is respect in one culture or in one household is disrespect in another. And what's disrespect in another household is just another day at the office for another. So I had to, like, be more open mm-hmm. to kids yeah. asking why, asking questions and not and, and not taking it personal. Like, are they questioning me? Is a 10-year-old really questioning me? And more like they're searching for answers. They're looking for a reason. And I found that a lot of time, if kids understand the why, they're more apt to comply with what you want them to do. Yeah, I got got no problem. Why you want them to do it? They're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, I'm with it. I I got no problem explaining why. Um, I coach basketball, football, track. The why is really the most important part because until they know the why, they're never going to give in to the system. Mm -hmm. They're never going to give in to what they need to like. I have, you know, other teachers say, you don't ask me why. I'm like, no, nah, you need to tell them. Like, maybe you need to hear you say why, too. Maybe it doesn't make as much sense as you thought. Or maybe you're insecure um, because so, you don't have the answer. Facts. Correct. And, so, and, and kids can tell it, bro. Like, oh, they can tell it. They, they can probably tell it elementary. They can absolutely tell it in high school. They can, they can tell it 100%. So telling them why, like, it's hard to get a kid to understand why or how they did something wrong on a play or why their behavior is not what it needs to be, or why this or whatever, even if it's something as small as like headphones, like at our school, um, you ask a kid to take them out. Man, why I gotta take my headphones out? Look, because it's in the guidelines, because it's in the rules. Why is it in the rules? You should go ask the principal, that's a good question. If you give good reasons why it shouldn't be, maybe he'll change the rule. Like if you want stuff changed, there's a way to do it. Arguing with me is not it. Like, are you willing right. to take it that far? And they're like, well, no. Nah. I'm like, all right, man, just take your headphones out. It's not my rules, the school's, you don't see none in my ear. I got to go bomb. You got to go bomb. It's part of the social contract we sign. We walk in the room. It's that simple. And honestly, yeah. if, if you're not passionate enough to push it to that point, then maybe it's not something you should be bucking the right. system on. Yeah. Correct. And, and, and Correct. that's something that you can kind of, you know, that, that they'll kind of, you know, start thinking about as well. Um, I was talking about more about the why. Man, we did an exercise uh, before, you know, before last school year and, and and our administrative well our principal pushed us to you know go into groups of twos where we'd be intimate and then we had to like ask you ask a question and it's why and why and why and you could not stop until you got to like five whys and the whole root of what we were doing is try to figure out why am I in education? Mm. Why do I teach school? Because you know and you would be surprised the the, the amount of teachers who was like dang like Maybe this is not really my passion. Yeah, or some of them were yeah. like in tears, like, man, I'm really like, you know, okay, I'm really like invested in this. And a lot of times, if we as adults or as teachers or whatever, you know, vocation that we're in, if we can't, if we don't have a why, then that's why we are depressed. That's why we wake up angry. That's why we wake up feeling unfulfilled. That's why, you know, we turn to maybe drugs and alcohol to kind of fill that void because you feel like, yeah, you feel like you're kind of running a rat race. Like Greg said earlier, you know, I'm I'm happy that it took him a while, but I'm happy that he's not working in his purpose because that that's going to make him a better teacher. 
because he'll be able to tell a kid who may be feeling ostracized or may, you know, uh, be unwilling to take their risk. Like, hey man, it took me 16 years before I made this decision. Don't do that. Like, I'm gonna give you this world geography. I'm gonna teach you how to write this English paper, but go be you. Because there's only one you and can't nobody be a better you than you. Correct. And that's powerful. So I got yeah, I got and I, I, you know, CP, I think I, I think I am working in my purpose because my purpose is twofold. Like, what can I do for other people? Teaching answers that. You know what I'm yeah. saying? What can I do to express myself and still feel like I'm being me? Clothes and design and stuff answers that. That's and um, I, I'd, I'd almost be a, like not afraid, but I don't know if I could be like a well-rounded person immersing myself in just one or the other. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, so because when I'm off work, I want to be off. And when I'm being creative, I don't want to worry about that. You know what I'm saying? Like right, right. keeping those two things separate makes them more precious when I'm doing them. Um, and and it really does. And it, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on something Chris um asked about wasn't it a time at work where I think he said what's a time at work where like you felt I don't know if he said discriminated against or something like that. But yeah, um, that's that's where I was getting at. Like I do. Okay. That was my question. It was going in towards that. Like. As black educators, do you feel like the pressure's on? And then on top of that, your interactions with the other personnel that you work within that system too as well. How are you treated and is the pressure on for you? Um, one way I'm treated, especially when you coach, is it's partly because you're a coach and then when you're a black coach, it kind of happens twice as often. Mm. Like people always want your help with kids when it comes to how they behave in class or whatever it may be. You the muscle. And, it, it, yeah, I mean, kind of in a way, and I'm I'm not there to like scare the kids or anything. Like, I just go talk to them like a person, like, "Hey, man, what's going on?" Like, it, you know, and I try to get to the bottom of it. And sometimes, like I said about black kids being ASL, it's a communication gap. You don't know how to communicate with that kid effectively to get them to do what you need them to do. What and, and I rephrase that too: you don't know how to communicate with that kid to get them to do what they need to do for themselves. Mm. Like, you know what I'm saying? And that's a big thing is getting the kids to understand you ain't doing this for me. You're doing this for you. Like when you don't turn in work, you're hurting yourself. You're not hurting me. But my paycheck gonna come in the account at the same time. I prefer it come in with all y'all doing what you need to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? And so that's one big thing about it. And I'm like, people are depending on you. And you know, I'm like, hey. But now that's so I hate to interject, man, but that's so right. And that's something that they need true. to learn early is that the mm-hmm. world don't give a shit about what you're doing. I'm going to get mine regardless. regardless. So while you're here, you better get yours. And you better yeah. learn that early. I think that's yeah. really, that's important. It's important in high school because those kids are kind of right there on, on, on the cusp yeah, of, the of, line, of, of, yeah. of adulthood mm-hmm. and being a kid. So this, this you know, this, these rose-colored lenses that you have on and this veil of protection that your parents have around you. And you got like two more years of that shit. <laughs> and then that's like it. And, 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 yeah. and it ain't no more excuses. It ain't no that's my baby. No, he should have known better. Yeah. He a consenting adult. He can drink. He can fight in the military. And especially for our black boys, especially for our boys of color. Yeah. But for me, uh in elementary, I, I, I agree with Greg. A lot of times if you have a male presence in the building, especially if it's a, a, a black male presence, you kind of like you're gonna get the trouble kids. You're gonna get the, the kids who are hard to deal with. 
you know, you're going to get the kids who, you know, who may have a different learning style. And it just it, it comes out as be, as bad behavior because they eight or nine years old and they don't know any other way to express themselves when they're at home, you know, and they and they want attention. They break shit. They knock over things. They talk out of turn. They want attention. So, you right. you know, so you just find a more positive way to give them that attention. A lot of times with, with students like that, you don't want to front them out. You know, you pull them one on one because they want an audience. They want that attention. So you'll pull them mm. one-on-one and just be like, hey, yeah. what's going on? And how you feeling? And then you'll be surprised a lot of times what you'll hear. And then you'll be surprised on the little game on the jewels that they'll that they'll drop on you because they they, they already know. That's the first thing. And then number two, uh, uh, kids learn from people that they like. Kids learn from people they like. So when you're in class, if you're that, you know, that butthole teacher who can't connect, who refuses to connect, maybe it's a generational gap, maybe it's a socioeconomic gap, maybe it's a cultural gap. If the kid can't find a way to connect with you, you might as well be speaking another language. So a lot of times I feel like, and especially with me teaching math, math is one of those things that's like, that's hard, like just from the jump. That's hard. You know, you'll hear kids third grade, fourth grade. My mama said math hard, but just because your mama wasn't good at math don't mean you yeah, exactly. you're not going to yeah. be good at math. You know what I mean? So, but when they actually like start to connect with you as a person and when they start to like really see that, hey, that you're a human, that you got kids and you got a family, you have interests. And that's why I always make it a point every single year, especially for those, you know, we call them the, the, the students that we love the most. <laughs> you yeah. know, I try to make it a point to, to support those kids outside of school. Yeah. Because a lot of times those kids, they're not going to do well academically. They're not going to be straight A students. But it's good to see them succeed singing. It's good to see them succeed dancing, cheering, playing basketball, playing football. Because the same way that a, you know, an A student is going to get that praise and that affirmation from me in the classroom, like that student will never get that from me in the classroom. You know, for growth and improvement, yes, but they'll never make those A's. So I got to give it to them another way. So then when I do need to have that tough conversation with them and I really need to connect, they know that, hey, Mr. Prater, you know, has my best interest at heart. Plus, I got those parents. So now I can talk to that student and I can get on that kid's level and I can really get with them. And mom and dad know, you don't disrespect Mr. Prater. You don't listen to what he has to say, you know, because they know that I've got a vested interest in that child. So... That's what's up, man. Yeah, I, I agree. And, um, you know, I try to make class as relatable as I can. I teach econ, but we talk about a lot of stuff other than econ because these kids are so close to being out on their own mm-hmm. in real life. And, you know, that's a senior class, so they ain't got long left. So um, we ch- I try to sprinkle in a lot of everything to kind of get them to be well-rounded. And another thing I do is I tell them my failures. Um, I'm very open with them that I got kicked out of junior college. I'm very open with them that I had like a 0.6 GPA when I got kicked out. I'm very open with them that I had to go back and like look my mom in the face and be ashamed that I came back on terms I didn't want to come back on. And I'm very open with them about the things I did to make money and survive and pay tuition so I could get back to that same junior college a year later and retake all my classes and make A's and B's and then see y'all at Texas State. Like I'm very open with them about their about my failures because I want to know like each failure is not like something that's going to condemn you. You know what I'm saying? You can crawl out of it. It's hard. Um, and it ain't for everybody. Uh, I, <laughs> there's 10 people that got kicked out of school the same year that I know. 
I don't know how many of them went back and finished. You don't have to go to school to, you know, be successful and stuff like that. But they were there for a reason. So I'm assuming they wanted to. Um, and a lot of them just didn't do it. Like the grind just got too heavy. Um, maybe they lost track of their goal. And it's real important to always focus through that stuff. So I'll make sure they know that. Um, and I just try to be as realistic as I can. I'm, I'm just like y'all. I'm just older. I've been where y'all going. Trust me, listen to me. I ain't gonna give you no bad advice. Um, I'm gonna try to lead you in the right direction. Now, I, you don't have to take the same, like, I, I can tell you go to LA and get on the flight and go, but there's a way to drive, there's a way to walk, there's a way to bike, mm -hmm. there's, there's a way to sail if you had to. There's so many ways to get to the same place. I'm gonna lead you in the right direction. Your path is on you. And um, to kind of answer what you said about a time where we've kind of noticed it at work that, you know, you're, it's like thrown in your face is like, if there's ever a time where there's a certain kid who may be black, um, who needs a stern talking to in athletics, there have been times where there are certain people who didn't think they could do it because it would come off the wrong way or because parents are in the stands or whatever it may be, they're afraid to do it or they'll ask you to do it or, hey, can you talk to him? Can you see if there's something wrong with him? What's with him? Hey, do you know what's going on with him? And I'm like, I don't ask y'all to do that for the kids that aren't black when I need questions like that answered. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that, like that makes you more conscious of like, the, and, and what I think is like, what kind of relationship y'all have if you can't ask? Right. Or if you can't figure it out? Or if you feel like you can't, like, did you build up the base to go over there and basically tear that kid down by telling him everything that he's doing wrong and then ask him, can he do it or not? Because that's all I ever do. What are you doing? Is that what we practice? Then why are you doing it? Because this is what's wrong. This, 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 this. You're not sealing the edge. You're not, uh, you know, wrapping both legs when you tackle. So guys are wiggling out. We don't practice that. When you look in the stands, people are going to think I taught you to do that. Why are you doing that? Can you do it right? If you can't, let me know. I'll put somebody else in that I know can. Or I'll put somebody else in and I'll let them try. But I'm, I'll be doing the wrong thing if I leave you out there continue to make the same mistake. That's really all I ever say. I didn't say nothing wrong. Right. You know what I'm saying? And the idea that you need me to say that, whether it be that way or in a more stern way, what have you done to build that base up? Are you even interested in building the equity with that kid to do that? Right. And why do right. you assume and that I have it already because we're black? Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Kind of like, kind, kids, kind of like I was take, saying earlier, man. From people they trust. Period. They take coaching from people they trust. Black, white, whatever. Roy Williams, Dean Smith, uh, you know, all these coaches there in college basketball that are success successful, they're not successful because they had a black guy on staff that could communicate with their best player. They're successful because they could. They tried it. They got their yes, buy-in. They figured out a way. They got their buy-in. Yes, they got their buy-in. They got the respect and they figured out a way. They they That kid believes that they care. That kid believes that it's not personal. It's about that coach's job is to bring out the best in that team. And you're part of the team. And if you're not giving the team your best, we're going to tell you you need to give the team your best. Like, this is easy stuff. This is not anything that you should need a translator for. You know right. what I'm saying? And so that's when I notice it the most is when somebody asks me to do that or a teacher asks me to do that. And I'm just like, what are you going to do if I'm not around? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, man, I, uh, 
like kind of what you, like what you were saying just about you know dealing with maybe having a having having a having to have a tougher conversation the one thing i always try to you know let the kids know that whatever emotions and whatever frustration they have it's it's fine it's okay it's normal yeah see a lot of times with kids what what bother their emotions and you know when kids are young like you know generally from the age that i have them my like third and fourth and fifth grade they'll bottle 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 and then it's a blow up and then maybe yeah. it's a fight, maybe it's a, a, a toss of a chair, maybe it's a flip of a desk, whatever the case may be. And so mm-hmm. the first thing I always tell them is I ask them from their point of view, what's wrong? And then they'll kind of do, 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 they'll give me their idea or their point of view of what's wrong. And then I'll tell them, hey, it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be mad, but it's not okay to do what you did with that frustration. You know, it's not okay to do what you did with those emotions because we all get mad. You know, your your mom gets mad, I get mad. What if I get mad at you because, you know, I told you to do something 10 times a day and you know I have to and they'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I flip a table. Am I wrong or right? Well, no, that'd be wrong. Oh, okay. So you can't get mad and flip a table too. And not that it's, oh, not that it's something wrong with being mad. Like I never tell a kid, don't get mad. Don't be, nah. Emotions okay, frustration yeah. okay, but let's see what we're gonna do with those emotions. We gotta might tell your life. You're gonna be mad because you can't get this mad yeah. problem. Yeah, Damon, Mike, right. that's what I tell them all the time. You gonna black you gonna dudes, get, you, you don't got no get out of jail free cards, homie. Like you don't got nine lives, man. Like mm-hmm. how you respond to stuff could literally mean life or death. And you it's almost it's right. unfair that I have to ask you to think about that at 15. But yeah. I do. Right. And like CP, I had to tell. I had to break it down to kids like this. I'm mean, like, okay, do you not like what happened or is this wrong? Are you being treated unfairly or do you not like how you're being treated? Because those are two totally different things. You know what I'm saying? And, and like, you know, like you said, flipping the desk. Is it wrong to be mad? No. Is it wrong to flip a desk? Yeah, dog, you're at school. You can't go flipping over desk, man. <laughs> like you, just, you, just, you can't do that. Like there, there's a certain, um, you know, like I said, social contract that you sign when you walk in the door. Flipping over desk is a part of that social contract. Right. You know, same way right. we can't go choke a kid because they make us mad. Oh, I was mad. Okay, now you're fired and you're going to jail. <laughs> you know, there are consequences to our actions, and whether you know other people agree with it or not, it's pretty clear that when you're black, your consequences are heightened. Um. And, you know, when my son was born, that brought out a lot of emotion in me I never had. It made me a more emotional person, period. Oh, like, yeah. things bother me more. Um, Anxiety I'm more on 10. To, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm more sensitive to certain things. And, and he, you know, he's three months. Like, he's far away from having to experience those, but I'm already worried about it. And so, brother, like you said... When I drive home from the hospital, that's the most anxiety that I think I've ever felt. Bro. Yes, it's, it's, it's humbling, dog. Like, very much so. It is humbling. you like, this is the first time I've ever driven in a car with my child. Am I putting like, them in the right. car seat right? No, you ain't driving the right. you like two or three miles, <laughs> miles per hour below the speed limit. And you, you, mad, you mad at everybody. You tailgate yeah. me. You running that. It's a yellow light, but that, that's close. Oh, you running I, that. You going to just make that right without that? You know, too. like. <laughs> I'm very rarely attended to. I was attended to the whole ride. Like, it's right, just. Right. And, and so, you know, we, we know that. And us trying to express that, like, hey, you got to figure out, like, what's wrong and what you don't like. Those two things are two different things, and you gotta figure out how to handle what you don't like and what's wrong, because you don't get to go off the same way 
than everybody else do. Like you, you got to learn that. And like I said, it's almost I almost feel like I'm robbing kids of their childhood when I have to tell them that. Man, like, but kids it's mess up. That's what they do. Yeah, when black. Yeah. Like you better learn that fast, man. But man, but and it's crazy because like those decisions that they make in high school, and I'm thinking about it from an elementary standpoint. So there is a direct correlation between uh, literacy and uh, literacy and jail time <laughs> and literacy and the people. It's a direct correlation. And that's something that you can track back. To your first grade, second grade. If kids can read by this particular age, they're more likely to go to jail or they're more likely to have a, 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 a fulfilling life in society. Like mm. they they that's documentation. They yeah. determine, they determine the uh the number of jail cells they build and and, and, and cost they're gonna have in jail by looking at the enrollment of kids in kindergarten and first grade. Wow. So they're already socially yeah. like, you know, looking at who can read, who can't read, how yeah. many referrals they have. Because, and I had, I explained this to a teacher last year and she kind of tripped out. I was like, all right. So school is just like a, 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 a microcosm of society. You got the kids, you know, who high achievers. You got the kids that may be a little bit more trouble. And just think about it. You getting referrals and all that stuff, that's elementary. By the time you get to middle school, referrals, you probably got some truancy. So now you're kind of getting in the system a little bit. Um, but you can kind of make a decision whether you're going to go to school or not. By the time you get to high school, you know, like in-house, you know, you go to talk to the council, whatever. By the time you get to middle school, high school, that's an alternative school. Yep. So what happens after, where's the alternative school after you graduate? It's jail. If you can't function in society, if you can't learn how to manage your emotions, if you can't learn how to, you know, uh, to deal with, with frustration, if you can't deal with failure, because you, if the only way you're going to be successful is if you fail. So a lot of kids never try because they don't want to fail, but they don't understand that if I never try and fail, I'll never be successful. Yeah, see that? Nobody, Go ever, survival, nobody, yeah. E- nobody ever gets nothing the first time. And I yeah. tell kids a lot of times, especially with math, they'll be like, Mr. Prater, this hard. I had a student, you know, first week back in the building after being, you know, at home virtual since March. My man, I was pushing him. I'm like, all right, asking him different, you know, checking for understanding questions and stuff like that. And he, you know, he had the problem correct and it was a small group of students in the classroom. So nobody laughed there, nobody made, you know, fun of no, nothing like that. But he got the problem correct. And I was like, good, man, you did it. You, like, you worked hard, but you got it. And he just started crying. And I was like, what's wrong? First time he, he was been like, successful. He was like, man, yeah. I just get frustrated sometimes. I was like, but you got it right. He was like, but I just, I just didn't know. I said, hey, man, look, I'm telling you, you're going to work hard like this and we're going to work hard like this every day. I'm going to be back tomorrow. You're going to work just like this tomorrow. Well, guess what? You're going to get it. And he was like, but it was hard. I was like, could you tie your shoe the first time you ever tried? No. Hmm. Can you do it now? He said, yeah, now it's easy. I said, you rode a bike, right? He's like, yeah. I said, what happened the first time you rode a bike? Man, I fell a whole bunch of times. Now it's what? It's easy. I can pop wheelies and stuff now. I said, it's all yeah. This math is going to be, it's going to be hard until it's easy. Then I'm going to give you something else that's a little hard and we're going to get there too. But I'm going to be right here every day with you. Now he comes to class. Can I do another problem? Can I do another problem? Give it. Did I do it? And that's where you want them. They might get that's mad because you ain't calling on it. Right. <laughs> right. They're, yeah, they'll be the ones yelling out answers at you. And you be like, hold on, let somebody else do it. Like that's, it, it gets right. to that point. And like, I'm glad you mentioned literacy. Dog. I was going to say earlier, like one thing that would help with with COVID learning is read to your kids. 
every day or have them read to you every day. Like, yeah, your kids read to you every day. You do something, anything, I don't care what it is, you do it every day, you're going to become better at it. You might not ever be great, right. but you'll be better than you were. Um, and that is when kids can read well, they can understand everything you try to teach them better because unless your class is fully lecture-based, at some point, they're going to be consuming information that they're going to have to read. They're going to be spitting back information to you that they're going to have to write. Nobody learns how to write, really. Like, you learn how to write your letters, but you need to learn how to sound them out and form words, which is essentially learning how to read, before you become a good writer. It doesn't, it's not like you just give a kid a pen and they know how to write well and all that before they can read. Nobody can write stuff they can't read. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So like that is one way to whatever they're lacking from school, have them read every day, have them read something different every day. Don't give them the same thing. Have them read something yeah. different every single day. And that I promise you, no matter if it's third grade or 12th grade, because I see reading gaps in 12th graders, right? And, and no high school, look, most high schools are the same in terms of the kind of kids that are there. They all have problems. Then most of them are the same. They're just dressed differently because some kids may have more money than others, but, but they're the same. Um, and so that is a big deal. When kids can read well, not on a text message, not in an app, but like, I think giving kids a book and having them touch the book, feel the book helps. Um, reading yep. is kids that can read well. There's a direct correlation between people who know how to think, people who are creative, and people who are literate. Like that's just what it is. And have them read creative stuff. Don't always have to be science or research. You know, mm -mm. they don't need to be a pencil yeah. pusher and stuff like that. Like creativity is where it's at. Like you, I think you said it, Damon. Like somebody can create an app. They have to be creative to create an app. They have to be philosophical to understand what they want their app to do and why it's going to be different from others. Mm. And then the business stuff they learn as they go, right? You go to, there's a lot of people in business school, very few of them own businesses. They work for people that own businesses. You know what I'm saying? And those <laughs> people one are of them creative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those people are, are creative and they have philosophies that made them successful. And like you said, they just hire the right people to help them. So, I really, man, have your kids read out loud every day. Reading out loud is different than reading to yourself. Man, something it's, about it. it's, it's so let's crazy. Let's I'm going to let you get the last word in, CP. No, okay. I was about to say, it's so crazy that he said that because, like, I kind of felt convicted with that a little bit, even though being a teacher, like, a lot of times I have my kids, my own kids at home doing, you know, like, really academic things. But I was like, you know what? Man, I went and just bought a newspaper. And who knows the last time I bought a newspaper? And I had my son and daughter. So I picked the article for either one of them, and I just let them read. And it was about stuff that was going on in our city, in our area. And, like, that gives them a whole different perspective on, mm -hmm. on, on the world around them. Because they're like, oh, this is happening over there? Yeah, like 20 minutes away. This is happening. So they'll, they'll get, have that opportunity to connect with the text. And then also it's like a non-fiction text. It's a non-fiction yeah. text. Yeah. And so, so many kids, they're used to like reading fiction or like playing video games or like seeing things that aren't real and trying to connect with that, even with the YouTube videos and stuff like that. Dangerous. Like, it's, it's yeah. not real. So you have them to connect to something that's actually it's, real, to something that's tangible it's a in their community. Story. It's, it's a story and it's real. It's not just information. Right, it's not right, right. It's like reading a textbook. That's information. And it's not fiction. It's a story and somebody's telling it to you. 
And that that there's retention there that you don't find it other ways. It really is. Well, man, like I want to tell both of y'all, man, um, like Haywood said, we wanted to have y'all on because not only are you black educators, you're black male educators, which is a unicorn in in society, especially uh, going through the school system. So, you know, you know, I salute you guys and I applaud your efforts coming in. We need more like you um, within the system because that's the only way we're going to help elevate our people to to understand, hey, there's a real world after you get through this portion of your life and you need to understand that early before it's too late. Maybe we could save that many more people. So um, I, I implore anybody else that's thinking about being an educator, like definitely do it, do it, man. And I, I think this is just a, a part one of a, a, a deeper conversation we might need to have down the road too. Cause I know there's a couple other things that we probably didn't even scratch the surface on. So if you guys up to it, I'll definitely bring you back at another time, man. Yeah, anytime, anytime, anytime. Let us know. Yeah, man. Well, with that said, man, this has been another episode of the Why Not Us podcast, man. Y'all keep liking and subscribing. Tell a friend to tell a friend. We love y'all, man. Peace.